The following program is presented to you by the New York State School Boards Association. NISBA's President's Gavel Podcast is supported by the Harris Beach Educational Institution's team of attorneys. Harris Beach successfully represents more than 130 school districts and BOCES clients throughout New York State on matters involving school district operations, labor and employment matters, cybersecurity, and student issues. Learn more at www.harrisbeach.com. In this spotlight episode of the President's Gavel, we turn our attention to special education and the rules for determining when a student with a disability has aged out of the eligibility criteria. These rules have been in effect for years, but a recent federal court decision and an informal opinion of counsel from the New York State Education Department has changed the landscape of this area of law. To learn more, stay with us. Let's call this meeting to order. Hello and welcome to NISBA's President's Gavel Podcast, a podcast for all school board members. I'm your host, Darcy Dercoli, Director of Leadership Development at the New York State School Boards Association. In this month's Spotlight episode, our focus is on special education, specifically the rules for determining when a student with a disability has aged out of the eligibility criteria. The rules have been in effect for years, but a recent federal court decision and an informal opinion of counsel from the New York State Education Department has changed the landscape of this area of the law. As we dive into our discussion today, please keep in mind that every Board of Education should seek legal counsel from their own school attorney when considering these important legal developments. Here to talk with me today are two attorneys specializing in special education law with the Harris Beach Law Firm. I'm happy to introduce both my guests, Jeff Weiss and Ann McGinnis. Welcome, Jeff. Good afternoon, Darcy. Pleasure to be here. And Anne, welcome to you as well. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So Anne, as we said, the landscape has changed a bit, but what has been the legal standard for aging out of special education eligibility? The legal standard has been the same for a long time. We get that from the Federal Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, the IDEA, and that is our federal special education law. And here in New York, we've adopted that through New York law and part 200 of the special education regulations. And that law tells us that students age out when one of two things happens. Either the student earns a high school diploma or the student reaches the end of the school year in which the student turns 21, whichever happens first. And when we're talking about high school diplomas, we're talking about a region's diploma or a local diploma. Uh, a GED does not count for that. So it has to be an actual diploma that the student earned. But there's some students that may not earn diplomas and, and there's various reasons for that. Maybe they're not able to earn the credits that they need for that diploma or more commonly, maybe they have a disability that is so significant that they're not able to earn that diploma in the general education setting. And those students are entitled to continue 
to receive special education services and to be enrolled in their home public school district under that statute until the end of the school year in which they turn 21. But that has changed, which is why we're here today. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for explaining that so well to our members out there. And so, Jeff, we know that something now different has happened. So how did the Second Circuit Court of Appeals rule on this issue that really changed the landscape here? Thank you. So we need to start um, by pointing out that the federal uh, Second Circuit Court of Appeals has jurisdiction over several states, including New York. Now, the case at issue that started this series of events arose in Connecticut. Now, Connecticut's uh, education law, similar to New York's, also indicated that the eligibility criteria expires at the conclusion of the school year in which the student turns 21. So why are we here? What has changed? Well, uh, a, a unique lawsuit was brought in Connecticut. Now, it wasn't absolutely unique because similar lawsuits were brought in other parts of the country, and those lawsuits succeeded as well for the parents and students bringing those claims. So the argument uh, was pretty straightforward. It was based on uh, uh, sort of an equal treatment analysis. So in Connecticut, the parents argued and established that uh, students without disabilities and students with disabilities as well were eligible for an adult GED program free of charge up until their 22nd birthday. And so one of the issues was whether that GED program had sufficient contacts or support with the Connecticut Department of Education. So that was, it was essentially a public school program for non-disabled and disabled students. And the court, the Federal Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that yes, there were sufficient contacts um, through the state uh, supporting this GED program. So in essence, the court ruled that general education or non-disabled students had a right to this program until their 22nd birthday. So under that logic, uh, the parents argued, well, why uh, shouldn't the eligibility criteria for an IEP be extended also uh, from the conclusion of the school year in which they turned 21 until the 22nd birthday. The court agreed with the parents and essentially ruled that the entitlement to a FAPE in Connecticut will go to a student's 22nd birthday. So that was about a year ago and people in New York uh, were aware of that decision and we're trying to figure out the impact of it because you had the potential for uh, a, a, a Connecticut court decision to impact how the right to a faith in New York would be applied uh, in, in, in cases involving New York students with disabilities. So we waited and waited for some guidance from the state and ultimately we received that guidance right before uh, the summer. So Yes, and that is my next follow-up question to both of you, because we know that the New York State Department of Education also provided some guidance through their legal counsel, and they issued this informal opinion in light of the second court uh, circuit decision. And 
We want to talk now about what does that mean for our school boards here in New York State? So what might that fallout look like for our school boards here in New York State? What consequences might they see given this new ruling? So the guidance that came out in New York State basically said that this Connecticut law that the Connecticut case was based on is indistinguishable from New York law. And that means that here in New York, that standard, that right to that free appropriate public education or a FAPE that addresses the needs of a student with a disability is now extended to the student's 22nd birthday. Whereas before it was the end of the school year in which the student turned 21. So if the student turned 21 in October, they were entitled to remain in school until the end of the school year in June. Now the standard is they're legally entitled to that free appropriate public education and to be enrolled in school until their 22nd birthday. And the state is also encouraging districts to allow students to remain in school through the end of the school year in which they turn 22, although that is not legally required, but school districts are being encouraged to do that by the state. And so what other issues might this bump up against, Jeff? I know that we had talked a bit about this offline. So could you describe for our Board of Education members some of the things that they might have to be concerned about in regard to staffing or programming, et cetera? Yes. Well, there's a lot of issues uh, emerging from the, the court decision and the guidance document from SED's Office of Legal Counsel. The first issue is that, you know, late in the school year, districts were notified that this was their, quote, new reality. So, you know, you may have several, maybe in some schools, many children who turned 21 during the recent school year who are potentially eligible to continue the upcoming school year. And preparations may not have been made, one, to secure, find and secure those new placements and also, equally as important, and maybe more important, budgetary preparations weren't made to pay for these programs because many of these children are in private programs or BOCES placements that are full-day programs that are very expensive. So some schools have been uh, forced to scramble to find placements and figure out ways to pay for them. Now, going forward, uh, unless there is some sort of intervention by the legislature or perhaps some effort maybe to reduce the GED program in New York to 21, which I, which nobody's talking about, to potentially bring the standard back to the old standard of the conclusion of the school year, which you turn 21. Going forward, schools will know about this requirement. They'll be able to make preparations in advance and they'll be able to make budgetary arrangements but um, right now there is a scramble, there has been a scramble in certain circumstances to address these needs. So Jeff, can you tell us about state aid concerns and Medicaid reimbursement issues? Yes, now as mentioned before, this change came about through common law or a case decision as opposed to amendments to the education law or regulations. So the changes are coming in piecemeal form. So things aren't being thought out globally. And so we're hitting some glitches as we move forward under this new standard. Um, 
state aid is a great example of that. Uh, currently, the state aid system is set up to give to some level of reimbursement for programming given to kids up until the conclusion of the school year in which they turn 21. So we're hearing in the field that requests for state aid beyond that time are being denied. So that's something that's gonna to have to be addressed uh, or, or this is gonna be an even bigger financial hit to schools. Similarly, uh, a lot of kids who are in, um, in these very intense programs are entitled to Medicaid benefits, school districts, access those benefits at times to offset some of the costs and a similar problem is arising where medicaid benefits are not being uh, approved for these programs so going forward this is going to not only make it difficult for for districts to program for this group of, of students but the, the financial hit is going to be even greater yeah, and Anne, I know that we had this other uh, piece of a conversation offline where we did also talk about, you know, is the district at risk for spending dollars to keep students in the program, even if they don't have Medicaid uh, reimbursement and or the state aid issues aren't worked out, but the school district chooses to keep those students in past their 22nd birthday? Right, so there is a question of whether that could be considered a gift of public funds if we're continuing to fund these special education programs for students beyond when they're legally entitled to receive them, which right now is up to their 22nd birthday. And there's also the issue of public perception with that as well. If we're expending these funds that we know are not reimbursable, the student doesn't have an automatic legal right to this yet we're still continuing to spend those public funds for those programs. Yeah, and so we we think that perhaps uh, our district should really be checking in with their own legal counsel to really have this discussion and make the decisions that they feel are right for them, right? Right, we'll always uh, advise that checking with legal counsel is a good idea. <laughs> right. Um, and tell me a little bit more about what you think um, uh, consequences might be around uh, programming and teacher shortages or proper certification? So across the state right now, there is a chronic issue with not being able to find specialized programs that have the capacity to take students um, with, with more significant needs where they may need to be educated outside of their home public school district. There's just not enough programs and not enough availability within those programs to address all of the needs. And so now that we're extending this beyond the end of the school year in which they turn 21, that's just increasing the number of students that are um, trying to get a limited number of seats in these programs. And there's also the issue about, um, are programs going to be hesitant to take students when they're older, when they're beyond 21, um, knowing that they might no longer be in that program when they turn 22 midway through the school year, or would they instead prioritize maybe a younger student who they know is definitely going to be there at least for the school year within that within that program. So it's it's very complicated 
And now districts are left with this obligation to provide that free appropriate public education, but that's very hard to do when you can't find a program that can actually do that for a student. Yeah, thank you so much for shedding that insight, uh, that light on this issue. And there are a lot of things that school board members, uh, along with their superintendents, need to be considering. Um, it looks like good budgetary practices, uh, not only for this year, but for the years to come, that uh, boards will have to really consider how they might need to shift funds, um, programming decisions, uh, trying to find the right certified teachers to provide those programming or other placements or slots for those those students that need to get placed. Any other thoughts in terms of strategies that either one of you think boards of education should be considering at this time? Well, I think it would be a good idea to have some contact with, with state legislatures on what has happened and have someone give a comprehensive look at the impact on all these stages. Um, you know, it's possible that the education law is going to have to be amended to match this new decision. And that's one possible step for clarification. And kind of on that note, it's possible that the education law could be codified to simply say that the, the right to a FAPE goes to the conclusion of the school year in which the student turns 22. That would resolve some of the funding issues, some of the uh, state aid issues. It would also resolve the discretionary piece because we do, we're already seeing certain situations where some schools we know are allowing kids to stay to the conclusion of the school year in which they turn 22 and others will not. So you could have neighboring school districts which different with different circumstances and I don't know how tenable that is as a long-term solution. So I think some comprehensive legislative reform and some corresponding regulations would make a lot of sense in this situation so that we aren't sitting here trying to figure it out, like as the saying goes, we're, we're literally building the plane as it's in the air. And so it would be nice to get some clarification from the legislature uh, on these important issues. And your final thoughts? Yes, on an individual student basis, I think that planning ahead and a lot of communication is very important and being sure that we're ready as the Committee on Special Education to identify how this is going to work for an individual student, what their program is going to look like, when that's going to end, communicating with the programs and the parents, and also uh, whoever is going to assist with transitioning that with that student after they leave the public school district. There's a whole process in the Committee on Special Education to set up students so that they're ready for those post-secondary transition activities, whatever those may be. And this is pushing that off a little bit, which could give students a little more time to figure that out. But having all of those parties be involved in those discussions is very important. Well, I know our audience has gained a lot of insight from this conversation. You have both shared a wealth of knowledge with us. So I'd like to thank my guests, Jeff Weiss and Ann McGinnis from Harris Beach Law Firm for joining me today. Thank you, Jeff, and thank you, Ann. Thank you. Thank you. 
And I would like to also thank my NISBA colleagues working behind the scenes, making it possible to bring this podcast to you. Thank you, Megan DiGennaro, Al Marlin, and Alyssa Maiello. My name is Darcy Dercoli, Director of Leadership Development at the New York State School Boards Association, and this has been a production of NISBA's President's Gavel. And this meeting is now adjourned. If you're interested in learning more about today's topic, check out today's show notes for additional resources. And if you enjoyed today's episode or find yourself tuning in each month, check out NISBA's social media platforms and show us your support by giving us a like. Have a topic idea? Email us at gavel at As always, thanks for listening. <laughs>